Are you so tired of flipping through your Cooper and Ethics book while you're studying? Yeah, well, guess what? So are we. So we created one of the coolest things ever. We created the coolest coloring and activity book. So you get to color in your amazing notes while doing awesome activities to keep your studying interesting and fun AF. Oh, are you wondering about the CMOT, right? You now have a coloring book and you're gonna need something that's really valuable. We have the best dual brush markers ever. Yeah, you can get it as a bundle too. We've got you. Head over to www.studynotesaba.com, look up the coloring and activities book and get yours today. You won't regret it. Love you, mean it. Study notes, ABA. ABA in a little X-rated way. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode 152. Casey, what do you have for us today? 152 or 152. Experimental designs are cool. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> our guest knows. Our guest knows, but a lot of our students are like, oh, fuck experimental designs, right? A lot of people studying for the exam are like, dude, how am I ever going to learn this? And, you know, now that we've been studying for at least Five years. No, that's like how long we've been BCBAs. We were studying before that. Yeah, true. I don't know. So like studying for the last eight years, maybe. Like, I think I get them now. Hopefully, probably not after today's podcast. And I realize how amazing our guest understands them. But we hope to excite our audience um, to realize that experimental designs really are not that scary. And you could do really cool things and look at data in ways that you didn't even realize. So that's the goal of today's podcast. But before we go any further into our goals and achieving different targets here, let's first give ourselves some positive reinforcement. All right. So this name I'm going to probably butcher, but Norse War Cleric. Thank you. I don't know what that means. War, bro. If it says W-A-R, it's for sure war. What did I say? War. (laughs) (laughs) Withdrawal. No, you could say war, right? War. Yeah. Okay. So it says, my favorite, you ladies always make my morning commute more fun. I'm studying for the BCBA exam and love everything SNABA, but love how relatable the podcast is. I always learn something new without realizing it. Love ya, mean it. Thank you, Norse War <laughs> Cleric, <laughs> for that amazing review. And we hope that we're always teaching you guys some cool shit. And today is really special for me. I've been geeking out because... If you guys know me, my very first, um, let's say, audition, if you will, for Study Notes ABA to be a teacher was, Liat's like, here you go, Casey. I was still studying. I want you to teach all about experimental designs. Now, I was heavily resistant about learning them in my grad program, but I had an amazing professor who probably is a lot like Megan and who's our guest and really like drove at home how cool they are and made us read research articles and break them down. And so I kind of fell in love and I was like, all right, I can do this. So I taught a YouTube video and it's still up there. It has so many views. I love it. Um, I probably would do a much better job now. So I should probably redo that, put it on my goal list. But anyway, we should go back and watch and see what you're saying. Oh my God. Embarrassing. No, it's probably, it's, I mean, it's been out there for a long time. So hopefully our guest uh, watches it and approves. Our apologies. The usual behavior robot malfunctioned. I am the backup behavior robot, behavior robot 2.0. Today's behavior principles are MBL design, CCD, multi-element, withdrawal reversal design, rad design, single subject design, baseline, intervention, socially significant behaviors, internal validity, external validity, baseline logic, experimental control, and now back to the show. But anyways, I want to introduce our guest. Uh, Liat found her on LinkedIn, and um, I'm going to read a 
a little bit of her bio. I was reading it earlier to Leah and our other coworker, and they were like, dude, she sounds so cool. And I'm like, yes. So Megan Kirby, Dr. Megan Kirby is a BCBA. She's a doctorate in behavioral and community sciences from the University of South Florida and a master's in special education from the University of Virginia. Her focus or her research focuses on scaling effective oral language interventions using culturally responsive practices to reduce educational disparities among marginalized and under-resourced communities. She's the Director of Dissemination and Implementation Programs at Language Dynamics Group. She's also a professor, instructor at Mary Baldwin University, single case experimental design methodologist at the University of South Florida, and works with the Glazer Children's Museum in Tampa to design measures of family engagement with museum exhibits. So this lady has wow, really that's done really cool. a lot. Megan, welcome to the show. You can tell everyone else how cool you are. That's it. Yeah, no. Um, I ran out of room, but I used I co-founded with my friend Barb, Uncomfortable BCBA. So um, yeah. that uh, was me. That was yeah. me. That was me. So I like to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> I have Wait, many interests. BCBA is not around anymore. No, we stopped, uh, Barb and I, in 2021, I believe, or, uh, yeah, because there were enough groups. No one was out there, and our whole purpose was, hey, let's, like, shake things up because we have privilege, and then people were start their own groups. So, like, yeah. Black Applied Behavior Analysis, like, just, there wasn't anything. And so, once there was something, we're like, all right, our mission's done. There's right. better people to take on this stuff. So, we just disbanded, and that was always the goal. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I love, I love a lot of stuff. I do a lot of stuff. I have hobbies. It's great when you can get paid to do them. Yeah. Uh, but, but soon some of these jobs will, will end. Money will run out. They're grant funded by universities. So the one at USF will end shortly. Um, and then I'll just keep doing single case research methodology for free because I'm a sucker. So, <laughs> but I what? love it. What does that entail? Like when you say like, I'll continue to do single case research studies for free. What do you mean by this? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a good question, because it's also broad. Um, so I had done a few studies and research, I designed an intervention during my dissertation as a part of it. Uh, but because of timing, it needs to continue. So it's an intervention for parents to help them learn how to talk about difficult things with their children, um, and then in turn tell better stories themselves so they can model better language. And it needs to be revamped because just the parents, they they needed more. So that I need to improve the intervention, right? So I don't wanna just give up on that. It, it's an iterative design process. So I'm gonna improve on my intervention and then test it again and improve on it and test it without money. Like my job isn't gonna pay for it per se. Right. Language dynamics might actually, but, um, but that's one example. I have another friend we're working with um, in home storybook reading with refugee families in Colorado. Um, that was her dissertation project, but I still help out with that. So that's a little bit of it. Another thing is that anytime we have paper ideas, me and friends, we have paper ideas, we'll, we do it in our spare time. So working on a new effect size for a single case research. Um, what does effect size mean? Tell me what that is. Yeah. So with randomized control trials, those big group designs, yeah. like the gold, quote unquote, gold standard. And when that, we're talking about these different things as we go, can we give a little bit like, you know, because I'm just thinking we have also a lot of listeners who aren't necessarily in the field or interested in going in it. And I'm sure it sounds literally like we're speaking another language. language. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, let me go back one second. Single case subject design. What is that? Single subject case design. It just, okay. Like, yeah. So we're going to drop the we're going to drop the word subject. It yeah. used to be called subject, single subject design. But subject is a term that denotes there's some, your research participants are subjects, right? A very colonialistic view of researcher as the expert doing things to people. Uh, so the American Psychological Association or APA and the most recent changes and in general researchers decided that we should be talking about cases because cases can be 
it's for your first name. It was named after you, Casey. Really? <laughs> so, no, it was not. Oh, um, <laughs> like, oh yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so a case, a case is usually a person. Like, how many cases are in your study instead of saying participants? But in behavior analysis and medicine, sometimes we're interested in, like, a medication's effect on different behaviors. So we study different behaviors, but one one person. And so a case, quote unquote, could be also a behavior or it could be a setting. Patients. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're going to call this from now on single case design. Yep. So that's where we start. Uh, It's not. It's a type of research methodology or, or method or way of doing research to study interventions primarily to study interventions um, and their effects. Now, traditionally, like cool, big research, it's very expensive to enroll a bunch of people all over and be like, this group doesn't get any intervention and this one does. You've got to have like hundreds, more than hundreds of participants and people. um, And then you just test them at the beginning, like, and you test them at the end of the study and that's it. So that's, that's traditionally a group quote, called a group design and, and randomized control trial, an RCT. What that means is you randomly assigned people to either intervention or no intervention, and then you pre-post test them. In what fields typically use that? Um, I mean, psychology, medicine, any, I tell you, it's really, really expensive. It's very, very expensive. And anywhere so that has, anywhere that has money, essentially. Anywhere that has money and you've got a grant, especially if it's like a large national grant from the National Institutes of Health, so NIH, it could be from the CDC. So when we were looking at the vaccination, these different vaccinations for the COVID, you know, different variants, they were randomized control trials. Like we randomly assigned people didn't know if they got the vaccine or didn't and until later. Um, and then we see which ones are effective. And so... Yeah, it's a lot of money. You got to pay those participants a lot of money too. So interesting because you're kind of giving like the backstory into that because I just assumed that, like, I know in ABA, we use single subject designs. I figured because it's like so often like individual to the the person we're working with, I that like you're seeing things at a larger scale that often it's like also money, you know, (laughs) what's. Oh, I just got to be never, real. I've never, on that, I've never been on that side of the research, so I never thought of that, but interesting. Right. So all fields can use single case designs because they usually do them to pilot out this new intervention, and they don't want to waste money until they know this intervention is at least a few times on these smaller scale studies um, are effective. So in other fields, so this is not unique to behavior analysis at all. Uh, it's pretty audacious to think so. But it, it comes from psychology. But there are, in the medical field, for example, a single case research design is actually called an N of one trial. So a capital N dash of OF dash one. So an N of one. I read that trial. in your, your journal article you wrote. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's called a bunch of different things. So that's also like usually a misconception is like it's unique to behavior analysis. This is all we do. I know behavior analysts and I myself have done a randomized control trial. So it's just all about what design is best for your research questions. And then to be realistic, how much money do you have and what are your resources? Yeah. So that's most PhD students are are not going to do randomized control trials (laughs) because they don't have access to, to doing that unless they're advisor if someone has has a study or has money so but yeah when you talk about for anyone listening studying like baseline logic is something that you know goes along with what we teach and cooper you know the book um but when you were saying in this randomized control trial you're testing pre and post so that's different than what i kind of think about being in baseline with, you know, status quo, like no intervention, then Mm -hmm. testing and removing. Um, So can you talk about that a little bit, the difference between the two? Yeah. So the, the really, let's start with, with what our problem is. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather start there. So like when we're, if you're in the field already too, this is great refresher for you because you're graphing data. So you're engaging in this already. 
Um, we just memorized it for the test and then it went right out, which I'm pretty sure it did for me too um, initially. And so we're looking, we want, typically if we're going to use a single case design, we want to know what are the, what is the effect of this intervention on this participant over time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not just two points in time, because I need a lot of people to rule out like, like probability, like, well, there's a 50-50 chance it just got right. him on a bad day. But if I have a large group of people, I can like use stats and lots of stats and statistics and just like, yeah, on average, actually, everybody did really bad, you know, at the pretest. So you can average it out. Well, you, you can't necessarily do that. But in that large group, I can't see for whom does this work or for whom is this intervention not working and look at those characteristics like race, age, background, because you're looking at it as one large group of treatment and no treatment. And so you lose really what I think is like the whole reason why we make interventions is you lose sight of like the individual people. And so baseline logic, when we're looking at this, everybody serves as their own control, meaning instead of having control participants like in a randomized control trial where the whole group just they no contact with the intervention, the participants will always get intervention, but not until we can see what is their norm first. So if I measure my client right now, I've let's say I have a toilet training um, program and they're just peeing all over the place in the house, <laughs> just all over. And parent comes to me and they're like, I want something. Now this parent, by the way, is also invested and they're going to do the work. So I say yes. Um, and so go in and like I can either look at all the stains on the carpet in the different areas and do it permanent by setting, right? <laughs> right. So I can make that like, hey, here are the settings. We want to reduce it in one setting. Or I can say I want to reduce the overall rate, which would be cray cray. Just mm-hmm. I'm not sleeping at their house all day. So I could say, oh, we want to reduce the rate during a specific time of the day, like when yeah. I can come over. Um, and so I would like what what how many accidents are happening right now at this time of day between like these hours and that's our baseline and then when i do my intervention when we start the intervention and we're all in it together then hopefully there's a behavior change where the rate reduces and you compare and contrast intervention no intervention like what are the rates between those two conditions um you just did an experimental design like Mm -hmm. it's only two phases not great because could be repeatability right you absolutely need to like then maybe take the toileting away again i wouldn't no and also wouldn't also that's a hard one because the skills now in their repertoire if it's already there if it isn't something medical right so right and we supposed to rule that out first but you're absolutely right so there's all these decisions that you as a researcher need to make as to like what's the best design before you would have done this like by ethics. the way <laughs> ethically practically i mean there are considerations resources like Social significance to the family to correct goals correct. are right right and the indicators of that obviously are they approached me you know, so we can get into that, but it's you identify the problem and then you figure out what is my dependent variable, meaning toileting accidents. And then you think of like, why do you think this is happening? So you rule out medical. Um, and I think it's happening because they're being plugged full of Capri Suns or liquids during this one period of the day where they have the most. But a theory, a theory of change is good because it's going to drive your design of your intervention. Um, and then you come up with a question, like, does this intervention reduce uh, toileting accidents? Um, and so in, in and of that, that's the time where you pick your research design. So because I come up with a research question and then I'm like, all right, which of these designs that I have a whole bunch of, whole bunch of designs, I have options, like a randomized control trial. But obviously that's ruled out because I don't have those resources and it wouldn't be appropriate for individual change over time. Um, but everybody jumps to multiple baseline. So they're just like multiple baseline design. And most widely used. That's what you learn when you're testing. It it absolutely is the most wide because it's all people know and it's all their advisors know. And it's all that their advisors know. What up guys, Liat here. I wanted to let you guys in on something in case you've missed it and you haven't been scrolling the ground. 
Have you been studying for your BCBA exam or you are studying for your BCBA exam and you are ready to pass the effing test? Or you're ready passed, but you want something to look forward to at the end? We have you all set up. Have you seen our BCBA boxes? Our BCBA boxes are so effing cute, if I say so myself, maybe because I was heavily involved with creating every single aspect of it. I mean, it has the BCBA balloons. Did you even pass the exam if you don't have a picture with the BCBA balloons? It has a specified shot glass. It has socks that say funny things on the feet, bad words, so you know I'd never say it on this podcast. It has all the different things you need when passing the test, and you can set yourself up for the cutest picks ever to celebrate the big day. Uh, a lot of people like to get it before they pass so they have it ready to go to pop the popper once they pass the test. Pop the popper before popping the champagne, if you know what I mean. All right, guys, so go over to our website, studynotesaba.com. Check out our BCBA boxes. It's a great gift for someone as well who you know is studying for the test. I know according to like when it comes to like knowing the Cooper book, like for test yeah. prep, we know that because that's our area we're in, but you know, we're not practicing. But when they say, like, I know when we teach them, like we teach the students, like the basics of each of the experimental designs, we say like, oh yeah, multiple baseline is the most commonly used. But where is it the most commonly used? Because I know coming from a clinic, it's like, I was never using that unless like, I mean, no, I don't think I ever was. Unless I guess I like stack three graphs. I don't even. Uh, that maybe would be non-concurrent multiple baseline. That's a variation. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't think I've ever. What'd you say? Yeah, no, I was going, oh, non-concurrent and concurrent. That's a whole nother 30 minutes. Because um, there's people <laughs> on both sides. Correct. Yeah, uh, there's. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, so fine. Forget that part of it. We don't want to, like, make people, like, scared. Where is it? But I'm going to give you an answer. So where is it? And they're talking about it's the most popularly used. Yeah, in our freaking research journals, not outside of our bubble. Oh, okay. Because I was going to be like, when I teach, like, there's stuff, like, I'll tell you, teaching test prep, there's certain things that you teach for a while and you, like, teach it. And then one day you decide to, like, ask the question, you know, and be like, yeah. hmm, it is? And I'm like, well, maybe my clinic just was, like, really behind, <laughs> even though, like, I thought at the time, like, Dr. Carbone yeah. like, knew what he was talking about. Like, you know, whatever. And then I'm like... No. I never saw it once. But like, yeah. so it's just confusing because, and then I'm thinking if I never asked this question, what about the students who are sitting there being like, I'm fucked. Like, <laughs> yeah, I even I've never done this. You know, like a lot of people even happened to the NFA who are like, I've never conducted one. And they, no, no, no one wants to say it. <laughs> no, no one wants to say it because the kids who went to school like full time and have a degree in behavior analysis, they got to do it. You know, like the, so, anyway, it like puts you us versus them in our own field. But yeah. what they're talking about is like, it's the most popular because they sampled research. They sampled all these research articles in our journals for umpteenth years. And then they're like making categories of changing criterion or whatever. And look, lo and behold, the most popular one because most of our articles are about interventions and we want to know for whom does it work for different people. So when you enroll different people that you, and you have a question about intervention effectiveness, it's been like our go-to design not for behaviors you can't take away, right? Once taught, once learned, it's established, right? You can't do this A, B, A, B, A, B design, this change or you withdrawal reversal. Mm -hmm. um, no, that would you can't do it. You can't unlearn unless the kid gets a TBI, like, and then right. you're like, well, look, I got a baseline again. But other than that, no, you know what it is. I think what bothers me with that statement is that one, it, it doesn't mean it's the best design, mm -hmm. and two, they're not talking about in the real world. They don't care about practitioners and professionals. They're not thinking about like. What are we using when we're in the field? No, we're most likely using a changing criterion design mm -hmm. because, oh, kid, once once you showed me you got this, I'm going to up the ante. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, mastery at 80%. I always question that. That's my skeptic. Like, hey. who came up with 80? Like, I'm sorry, why not 90? Why not 92? <laughs> why not um, 100? <laughs> like, I, oh, who can Anyway, so... Yeah, yeah the test they'll be like so what should i go for on the mock exam i'm like go for 100 <laughs> percent. they're like does it need to be a 70 or an 80 percent to pass i'm like go for 100 and people are like wait what but like what does it need to be i'm like point is you want it to be 100 like i always say that because and then there's always the classic example of like 
Well, if someone only crosses the street correctly 80% of the time, like they're dead. Dead 20% <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're in a video game. Right. So I think I think what bothers me about that statement is most popular. I really hope it's not on the exam because that's not something important that we need to know. And then we're teaching people that because it's most popular, it seems like it's the best. And there is no one best design. It all comes back to your research questions and the purpose, you know, social validity, so on and so forth. So, yeah, we might not see um, all these other different designs. And that's okay, except for the exam and you forget them. But, but can I ask something yeah. about because I did an Instagram live last night and I was talking about something and once and I was like, what videos would you guys want me to do more on? And the one girl was like section D. D. Is that experimental? Which is what? Yeah. D. Oh, sorry. I, I was I didn't know which letter it was, but it was experimental okay. design. It's Casey D. knows like the letters in her sleep. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's like experimental design. I'm like, okay, so what about them? And yeah. she's like, how to choose them? Well, first she had asked me about measurement in general, like how to choose best measurement. Then, and then I went into a rant, like, you know, well, it's going to depend on what you're measuring because technically you could measure one thing, multiple parts of it, right? You can measure the duration, you can measure the frequency, but what's going to tell the story? But then, but I would love if, I know it's kind of a broad question, but if you could um, kind of show like a thought process because we have a lot of people studying for the test. Like what you're like when like you're presented with a new problem, right? That mm -hmm. you're going to take research for. Can you like walk us through a little bit of what your brain's thinking of? How you're going to like be like, mm, I'm not going to use yeah uh, with uh, withdrawal design for this. I'm not going to use changing criterion. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, in fact, and once it's done, so I have a textbook chapter that's just in not in coming out but it has like a step-by-step -step process of like literally this so you know okay so let's say we've got I've, I've got my client or clients whatever it is but I've um got a new I've got a new intervention let's try this I've got a new intervention I went to a workshop I think it's super cool um and I have some clients that I can think I want to try it out with all right so I have a whole slew I've got permission let's just Underlying all of this is like, I've got the go ahead, consent, assent, check this all out. So Ethics out the way. Okay. Got it. Out of it. I'm thinking practicality wise. So I'm super excited. I have all my resources, like data sheets, whatever. It's my question is, is it effective? Well, is it effective immediately? Is it effective for changing one behavior or three? So we really even got to get nitty gritty. We call that operationalizing the de dependent variable. Um, define what it is that you're gonna you're gonna want to measure. So, for example, um, in one of in the example of this intervention, it's called Tell Me More, and it's where we're trying to change parent behavior to have conversations with their child and elicit a, a back and forth with these preschoolers. Well, the the intervention itself are these online modules that the parents watch. And I want to change one, just their ability to elicit a story from their child. That's like one of the examples of my dependent variables. So I want them to get their, to engage in a behavior that gets their kid to, to be, actually tell them a story so then they can work on it. Well, that's like really broad. So I've got to break that down. I have in my in, in the study, we're looking at using the phrase, tell me. So tell me a story about, so anytime they use that, it's like a, like a check. So this is going to be count. Um, anytime they ask open-ended questions. So that gives an open answer. And then anytime they actually model a story themselves, like they talk about a time that they were a kid, I'm counting all of these things. So just for this example, those are my outcomes. I have this cool new intervention. I want to see if it works across multiple people. Cause I don't want to just do one at this time. I went, to, I have this cool thing. Same thing goes when you go to a conference, you come back, but you're going to have- But the same intervention you want to try with multiple people. You, yeah. And you want to do it because it, you try it with one person and great, you find out it works. Well, now you got to do a whole other study or like start over and do baseline again with another person. And then you get it established. Oh, it didn't work. Well, now I've got a 50-50. I better got do it with another client of mine to like rule out that maybe it's just chance it didn't work for the other kid. You you kind of want to do that all at the same time for sake that's of efficiency. Way, anyone studying, that's that repeatability and that increases our believability that it's actually working. 
in case anyone's studying. Sorry. Okay, keep going. No, You're cut in and do this because I'd rather tell the story. <laughs> so, so, so you've got this where I'm going to try to do it all and things like tell me about or using stories. Once I train you to do that, I can't make you unlearn that. So mm -hmm. there are two types of behaviors. There's reversible behaviors and then there are non-reversible behaviors. So skills that you've learned that you can't unlearn. Academics, verbal behavior. Yeah. yeah. So once you've got these in your repertoire. Riding you, a bike. <laughs> yeah, you typically don't unlearn them. I I would actually consider toileting and like accidents. That's a dependent variable, but that can go on and off. So yeah, that's that that's an example of now asking to go to the bathroom would be an example of non-reversible because it's a verbal behavior but actually like having accidents or not having accidents you can turn that on and off so that is quote-unquote reversible behavior oh. so this is going to affect what designs i use because not every design is created equal um to be measuring things um so now i've got that in mind i i typically have a data analysis plan but focusing on um, the actual design choices, that's where I come to the fact that like, okay, I've either got a reversible or non-reversible behavior. Well, if I have a reversible behavior, then I am open to things like withdrawal and reversal designs, okay, or alternating treatments designs. Um, so, you know, you get into these where I'm like, okay, those are good because I could withdraw the intervention and the behaviors should go back to what they were like before the intervention started. Um, it should reverse, right? And you should have different rates. But um, another thing, I'm trying to think of right now, if it's non-reversible, so a skill that you've learned that you can't unlearn, like you just you just can't. Um, that's kind of where you're with a multiple baseline design, and there's different types of those, right? There's multiple baseline across participants, which is most likely what I do because I have three clients or I have all these parents enrolled in my study. So if I could just get them to all start and baseline at the same time, that's called a concurrent multiple baseline. Or practicality, because this is the real world and I have participants that are similar, but I only have like two. Um, or it's like a rare disease, like there's just issues with enrollment. Um, then you might maybe get two now and I'll start them all uh, in baseline right now, like today. And I'm measuring things during the same time. But then the study ends. Well, maybe two months from now, I can start enrolling again because I have more participants that could possibly. Problem is, here's the problem. Being transparent about that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times in our, drives me up a wall. A lot of times in our, research the graphs will have an x-axis that says sessions yeah. and not consecutive days or the actual dates or the months it's confusing it's misleading it i am skeptical when i see sessions i'm like hmm and then i immediately go because i'm a snob to go look at their design and did they specify if it was concurrent or not concurrent mm. or like philosophical doubt i like it yep and so if they don't then i'm like well you know this might have been how many years ago, and one of you can jump in with what this is. This might have been, happened like three of them were, were before COVID. And then I enrolled two participants recently, and this is post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And are the effects due to like, are, they shouldn't be put in all in the same damn graph. <laughs> like that's- well, A lot of things have happened over that, like maturation, like, right? Correct. History, like- Variables. Like confounding variables now, I'm thinking. Yep. Yep. And so that's where, listen, if you're going to do non-concurrent multiple baseline or non-concurrent anything, be transparent about it, mm -hmm. you know, so that the reader can make these conclusions versus by leaving it out and you show it, it's all effective over time. Like they better not fuck with you with a graph. Like I'm never gonna, I'm <laughs> never, I'm never gonna send you anything of like, hey, by the way, here's our pass rate. Like I'm gonna give it to you. Like don't ask questions. Just like take it. Okay, I'm gonna give it to you as like not even on a graph. I'm gonna like you guys a number. Like, I I say this because it matters. Because we oh, always get really like that's how as like, a field bitch that no one uses no one likes us we're not used people don't use our designs they're not ours by the way we don't own the science right. um 
so they don't use it and then we're not included in meta-analyses uh we are you just don't know about it because you don't know about me but we're doing it so like mm. but now people are using it here. right right <laughs> right but i i'm i i'm Statistics sure i was one of those part of the, yeah. the field that no, none of us ever know and i was at i think it was weba maybe yeah watching it was a presenter on using statistical analysis um in you know behavior analysis it might have it been katie wolf it was but... it was yeah i remember that i was also there and i was like yeah. jazzed she was so. so like cute and innocent and like all of a sudden she just busts out all the shit and i'm like oh all right, this makes sense. Like I am very concrete. Like I, one of my biggest things and I soapbox this a lot, we've had some people on about standard acceleration. And when I was, you know, practicing uh, just like the ability to skew a line graph is like, it drove me nuts. I'd be like, oh, if you just make the y-axis longer, it looks like it happened less. Like, like I, yeah, not, but you're I, also, you're also reinforced for doing that for insurance companies, which is like so effed up. Yes. You know, know it's like, so I'm with you. I get it. Well, just a, a quick recommendation side thing. Katie Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, has a really good article called Systematic Protocols for the Visual Analysis of Single Case Research Data and basically shows you how it's great for a supervisor to train their supervisees or how to set up um, a really good graph so that you can look and see if there's change. Like, so you're if you're having discussions about whether or not this program's working and are they mastering? You can go through it. I will send it to you all, um, a copy of it immediately we'll after this. We'll put it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, um, it's it's really helpful. But anyway, it, okay, so reversible, non-reversible behaviors. Um, so you were on no. the concurrent multiple baseline. That's right. <laughs> okay. Like so, a lot of people, so that would look to me like what you were saying is if you stack them, right? Yeah. And you have baseline starting at a different point. If you say sessions, it would look like a delayed multiple baseline, but only if it was concurrent. Correct? Correct. Uh, now, you can definitely put them all on the same. But if there's if you put dates on the bottom, you're going to have a really long graph. It's really still long. multiple baseline and just not concurrent. But here's the thing. Oh, I know I got on this. I need dates so that I can actually import your data and use them in meta-analyses with group designs now. Okay. So there's a set of researchers where if we want to look at X intervention, so the bedtime pass by Freeman, right? So I want to see, does this work? Or acceptance and commitment therapy. All right. And I'm going to get a return. I'm a meta-analyst, so I'm cool. I got a lot of money. All I do is just like this. Mm -hmm. seems so boring to me, but like they don't do the research, but they get all the research and they're like, I've got these randomized control trials. We use them in meta-analyses and I'll tell you what that, that meta-analysis is at the end of this. So I got all these like group designs, oh, all these single case, oh, I don't know how to like come up with like effectiveness. Like what is the effect size or like how powerful was this intervention on this person? What was the effect? So we, we can quantify that. Like if there's a really low baseline or zeros and baseline, because which would be great. Um, and then I teach them a new thing and then the rate jumps and it's like at a hundred now. The difference that like visual difference in height or the gap between baseline and then where you are in treatment, that we level. That level, right? We're looking at the change. It's called level. effect size. Yeah. Oh, you can, it's the effect size. What it, What is the effect of it? Like, what is the effect? And yeah. how large is that size? What's the magnitude of effect? Mm -hmm. um, and there's different ways, like different cool effect sizes and stuff. That's like another, that's not appropriate for today. But if I'm doing a meta-analysis and I want to know if acceptance and commitment therapy works, I want to, I should be including single case design research, but previously we, we've been throwing them out because we just didn't know how to work with them. Because people just put sessions on there. And so yet the other studies in the groups, they have dates. Like I know exactly like what was the time between sessions? Are the sessions all like days or are they like weeks? Or maybe a kid was absent. So you, but you plotting it on the same x-axis tick mark as if it's just the next session yet it was two weeks later that's the that's the issue that i have it's just like i want to know what the effectiveness is but i want it on calendar days please 
like consecutive days. So yeah, you're not going to be doing it on certain days. Like if you don't work on weekends, yeah, you're there's not a gap. It just won't have a data point that day, right? You just continue it. Um, and so that that's kind of the thing that that we also when we're designing experimental, you know, studies that we have to be considered about what is our who's going to use this. You know, and you have to be really careful, too, <laughs> as we know from prior research of, like, people who have nefarious reasons why they want to do studies. Um, who's going to use it and can they interpret it? And, like, that's the reason why we're doing research. It's not just for us. It's for other people and to help move and push research into practice to, like, shorten that gap of, like, 14 years or 15 years, I think it is now between designing an intervention and it actually getting out into the real world. Wow. Is the amount of time. Yeah. So wait, wait, that brings me to the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. So like, no, cause like that, I would say, I think, I mean, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. It seemed like it was done relatively quick then. Um, some studies, so they were preliminary, but they're still going on. So they have ongoing enrollment until they have large enough things. But once they had a large enough number of people, to get an average effect, you know, like once they had maybe like 6,000, 5,000, I actually do not know the number, but I know it was smaller than, than what we would normally hope for. Um, but if that effect size was really large from pre to post or like your baseline level to your treatment level, like in our graphs, if it was pretty large, you're going to be like, okay, FDA, <laughs> like, please approve this Wait, vaccine. 14 to 16 years, just like bullshit slowness of like going from like, kind of like a lawsuit, like where it's like, okay, we'll wait till the next one. Like, yeah, right. Is that what it is? It's, it's the fact, well, I go back to my study, like it didn't work the first time. And now I've got to go back and change the intervention to improve it. Cause that's, I'm not just going to go be like, Oh, I'll just do it again. No, I'm pretty sure it was my intervention. It was too weak. And like these parents need more, (laughs) just like a big old headache. Um, so they need more. And that means that I need to change it and then do a whole nother study all over again as if I've never done the study on it yet because it's kind of a new intervention. Mm-hmm. And then do it again and then do it again. And then I can have enough evidence to say, hey, dear federal government, can you give me more money so I can do a randomized control trial because I can't afford that. And then I do a group design and then you'll hear about it. So like that's typically like what it is. And yeah, most research, most interventions that are picked up and well-known and, and funded by our insurances have, have that, uh, what's an quote unquote evidence-based practice. hate that. Um, I hate that term because it's not a thing, but, um, what makes those lists, this kind of, all this research that has been going on and compiled and put into a meta-analysis. So if we want our stuff to be included, yeah, they have to have good designs. Tell me if I'm right or wrong, but actually, don't tell me if I'm wrong, right? I don't like it, so. <laughs> better be right. Just smile like, <laughs> if I'm wrong. Um, no, your research. Did you use a rad design? So funny story is I, rad u- I I I'll get it to rad, but the funny story is no, I didn't know what that was until okay. I like was working with my advisor, Trina Spencer, on on a some data she had had. She just never wrote a paper and published it. She was like, hey, you want to work with this? And I was like, sure. Um, and it was called a repeated acquisition design. And I was like, what is this? This looks like uh, it's, I'll describe it in a minute, but I just look crazy, looked crazy. Um, and it wasn't anything like I've ever seen. And she's like, no, it's a single case design. Don't you know it? And I was like, no. But because, so you know, I looked it up earlier. (laughs) Right. And uh, that was one of my complaints. So it's now in a couple, anytime like I'm writing a chapter on single case experimental designs, it's in there now. Um, Just not, won't be in Cooper. Uh, But anyway, so repeated acquisition design. Let's say that I want to teach, what is it? I want to teach new uh, vocabulary words. So I have one of two ways I can do this, where I can teach a set of vocabulary words and just keep teaching them until they get 100% mastery, like all, a whole set of 20. So basically, I'm plotting this like chart where like the accuracy keeps going up because whatever out of 20, initially, let's say it's zero, 
because why would I teach something if it was already in their repertoire? But that's another conversation. Um, but I picked 20 unknown words for real. Is that zero? And then next week, the kid learned one. So now I'm one out of 20. Then maybe like three out of 20. So slowly, slow and steady, it's going up. Okay. Or I can chunk them into different sets. And like if I have 20, let's say I put four words. I'm going to teach four words every week. And so I only need it for five weeks. This is a five-week intervention. Short. Probably a lot quicker. Uh, I'm also interested in learning if my teaching is effective. Like I want to measure me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm using the same steps every time, just the words change um, in these sets, what happens is this. So in your mind, you've got this y-axis and x-axis. Okay. So the up and down and the across. And just put, because I have five weeks and four words each, put five tick marks on it, on the x-axis. So one, two, three, four, five. And they're going to have my week numbers, week one, week two. Every time I do a pretest before I teach the words. So boop, little zero. All right. And it's going to come right before that tick mark. All right. And then tick marks in the middle. And then I do a post test on Friday on those words. Well, dang it, it better be good because I just worked on them all week. There's four words. So I should have, let's say I have 100 if I got really lucky. So I have two data points. A zero and a hundred. I connect them and it's just this one line with two dots. Okay, pick up your pencil. <laughs> the next week, they're two, they're another set, but that's new words. Same teaching procedures, new words. So I do a pretest on the new words, boop, zero. And then a post test, and maybe I got 80%. And I connect those two dots, but they are not connected to the previous week because they're different stimuli. So basically what you end up having is this like pre-post, 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 like just two data points that are connected. So repeated acquisition. So you're literally trying to teach skills using your intervention to determine if what you're doing and your teaching is working. Yep. To to teach these things. And you got to have a pretty set set of instruction. Like you can't be changing your instruction. That's like not what this is for. So, you know, that, that would be, another design that may would be like multiple baseline design or, or whatever. So, um, but with this, I mean, it basically just allows you just really rapidly in five data points, I've got five replications. <laughs> so there's the repeatability, right? And then they all show a big gain from pre to post. Um, and boom, I'm done in five. I don't need a baseline, which is what freaks people out <laughs> because my pre-tests are my baselines. They're at zero. Like, why do yeah. I need to have a random, but if people want Why them, do you need five days in baseline if it's zero? When I already knew it was zero, I'm wasting their time and I'm wasting mine. Absolutely. So sitting there wasting ethically, like not implementing treatment is like, not, in the, yeah, right. Right. In a multiple baseline where you have to have this delayed baseline or extended yeah, baseline. Don't get the treatment when they should. It drives me wild when I see right. that. And that's one of the biggest limitations when I'm teaching is like, look at this, like in order to prove baseline logic, in order to prove that your intervention in you have functional control or experimental control, participant two and three and four are stuck in baseline with nothing. And then you're like, yeah, yeah. if you know something works and it's a behavior that's non-reversible, so an acquired behavior, like an academic skill, right? So I use vocabulary because it's the most common one that red designs are used for. Um, then absolutely you should, I, I'm a big component, a fan of it. You can do multiple people at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't, you could also make it into a multiple baseline if you wanted to and stack <laughs> like them up. You, you can have control participants who look, they don't change. Their pre and post yeah. is like the same. Had no order. teaching. Right. 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 Um, there's a whole bunch of different, really cool ways. So since then, um, we have a paper it's published, um, any day now. Uh, but it has a DOI. So it's published in American Journal of Speech and Hearing and Language Services. So a speech and language journal. Um, and so it's it's exactly for that. It's an intervention studying vocabulary outcomes for first graders who are bilinguals. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, but it's just, there's so many cool things out there. So many well, cool that's things. I hope that our listeners take away that, like, we can sit around here and have a really cool conversation going on an hour of experimental design and what's cool about it and what like I think both of us it's like and Leah was even lit up today too because I'm like this is not her 
cup of tea. Like it's just a class I'd usually hand over. Yeah, she just lets me teach it. But like, I, I was excited to have you on to you know to see your passion and. Um, I want to make sure we share all of your stuff in our show notes for anyone who wants to go read um, what you've done and just continue to go out, like crush it. Like you're doing amazing shit and you make it cool and digestible. Can you let us real. know when that chapter comes out that you said, like how to choose an effective I'll, design? I will actually make like a, it's some shape or form or I can send it to you, but I, I was thinking of making an infographic anyway. So yeah. I love um, yeah, so I, I would be more than happy to share it with you now if you wanted to. Um, I just, in case you get around to it before I do. Uh, yeah, and if any, I'm about an infographic. I I am too. So <laughs> like a like a a graphic of it instead of like reading all the language, she could just be yeah. like, okay, oh, like like, a is there, like is there multiple people or not? Go this way. Like, uh, oh, 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 compound like schedule. Yeah, flow yep. chart. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I, I will work on getting that to you. If anybody is listening and is just like nerding out and wants more, they're welcome to, you know, get in touch with me. If anybody wants to go study or know what cool things and come up with effect sizes and do all this stuff, um, go get a PhD. You can get a PhD for free, um, especially if you're interested in this area. There's enough people that I know that I can hook you up that are good people and great advisors. So, yeah, I just encourage them to get reach out. That's great because people always do ask us like, yeah, I don't what know what can I they do or what. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to work in a clinic, you know, yeah. or. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want like one of my many jobs. Yeah. It's it's I think going back to school actually is the only thing I could do <laughs> to get out of the <laughs> clinic because I was a clinic director and I just I I didn't want to own my own practice and mm -hmm. like put my house as collateral. So and I don't look good in an orange jumpsuit. So like I was kind of <laughs> done with that. So I was like. I guess I have to switch careers and, oh, <laughs> shit, you mean a behavioralist can't do everything that I actually need a degree in something else <laughs> so that, you know, I can I can know what I'm talking about. And like, yeah, that was that's my path. So that's kind of why I have so many hobbies now is my degree. That's amazing. Well, mm -hmm. I love it. Megan, thank you so much for coming on today. I cannot wait for everyone to hear this and I can then t send students to listen to this. So they're not just listening. We'll to link me. this in our like resources for class, class for yeah, totally. our experimental design two classes we like to Good give out stuff. resources things we've done so that's cool Good. all right thank you so much you guys we'll put all the information so you know where you could find megan and all the research articles she cited and once we get this infographic it will be up maybe by the time this show does come out yes we will have that so mm -hmm. just keep your eyes peeled you know where to find us. You can find us on our website, behaviorbitches.com, on Instagram, Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast. You could listen to us anywhere and we appreciate the listens, but we really love five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app because it's the only place that shows us our reinforcement. So please go steal someone's phone and leave us a five-star review if they have an iPhone. And that's all we have for you today. So as always, love ya. Mean it. This show was produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts and made possible by listeners like you. If you ever thought of doing your own podcast, please visit prettyeasypodcasts.com.